I went to a Roman Catholic primary school in Sydney, St Mary's Rydalmere, which was just near Parramatta. My primary school had two campuses, kindergarten and prep to year two on one campus, and then diagonally across the road on the other side were grades three to six. And although it was never officially named by the school, the kids named them Little School and Big School. I completed grade two with my classmates, my childhood friends, at the end of 1981. Let the mathematicians work out how old I am. And although I don't keep up with any of my school friends at all, I still remember all of their names. By my grade, but my grade two teacher, Miss Byrne, must have taken a particularly particular liking to me because at the end of 1981, Miss Byrne decided that she'd like my company again in 1982. While my mum says she regrets the decision, I repeated the second grade. And so on the first day of school in 1982, dressed in my Catholic school uniform, I didn't cross the road with my friends. I didn't get to go to big school with them. Starting grade two for a second time, lining up an assembly to start the new school year, I was taller than most of my new classmates. But my newfound height advantage was only limited, didn't last very long, as kid after kid after kid from my new class began asking me and telling me the same things. What are you doing here, O'Connor? You're on the wrong side of the road. I thought so too. That's when the bullying started and never really let up until I left high school. Not only had I had to repeat the second grade, I had to do it all again. But I had to return to the same place of my humiliation, the place where others thought that I'd failed where I thought I'd failed, where I'd been told by others that I'd failed. I didn't get to cross the road to big school and so I had to do year two all over again. I think that was the shame of it all, humiliating and embarrassing, kind of still is to be honest. Sometimes it's embarrassing and painful, sometimes we experience it as shame. Other times we don't even notice it, don't realise that it's happening to us again. But circumstances can feel strangely familiar to us, like history repeating itself, like a subconscious memory. Circumstances can feel like we've been here before, that here I am again, doing this again. But it's not a sense of deja vu, is it? The timing and the situations have changed, but it's like we're reliving something again. We keep repeating the pattern until we have to do it, and we have to do it again. The mistakes of our past they revisit us. God has a way of bringing us back to things, back to things that we've done before, back to things that have happened in our past, back to similar circumstances and familiar events, back to teach us something new, something that we didn't learn or get right the first time round. And if we don't learn it this time round, if we don't do it differently, if we don't grow deeper in our trust of him, you can be sure it's only going to happen again. Only next time the circumstances will be different and more difficult. And if all of that just sounds a little bit airy-fairy to you, experiential rather than rigorously theological, let me state this as simply as I can. God brings us back in order to go forward. Back in order, to, back in order for us to go deeper with him. Back to people, circumstances and events. Back to places where we got stuck previously. Back to places we failed to trust him. History repeats itself. And so here we are all again, friends, in the lead up 
and preparation for another Christmas. In case you're just joining us, we're in our Bible talk series on Matthew chapters 1 to 4, a series about the origins of Jesus, the genesis of his preparation for ministry. It's a series that I've called A Great Light Dawns, and it's my hope that a great light dawns on us. That being Christ followers isn't simply about knowing the Bible better and turning up to church each Sunday. It's more than belonging to a growth group and only going along when you feel like it. Being Christ followers means being with Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. And so far we've seen Jesus' family of origins in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew tells us very clearly in chapter 1 that Jesus is the Christ. The son of Abraham, the son of David, is also the long-awaited promised son of God. And last week, if you were here with us, we saw Jesus' geographical origins. Everyone was asking in Matthew chapter 2, where is he? The star pointed to where he is. The Magi asked where he is. King Herod asked where he is. And Matthew told us where he is. He was in Bethlehem. He was in Egypt. He was in Nazareth of Galilee. You might have even been asking yourself, where is he? Maybe you're asking that now. The child born of Mary, whose husband was Joseph, is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's where he is. And while Matthew chapter 3 starts with the words, in those days, approximately 30 years have now passed, since Jesus returned from Egypt to Nazareth. It's 30 years later, chapter 3 from chapter 2, John the Baptist starts preaching in the desert, baptising people in the Jordan River. You see, friends, God is patient, God is present, and God is persistent. He brings us back to places we've been before, brings us back so that we might move forward. In the wilderness, by the Jordan River, John the Baptist now starts his ministry. But God's people have been here before. In the wilderness, beyond the Jordan. And so before we start Matthew chapter 3, we'll need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's see it there, the words on the screen behind me. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. God brought them back back to this place where they've been before. But they didn't get it right the first time, the people of Israel. They didn't trust God. They didn't do what he said. In the wilderness, beyond the Jordan, it's an 11-day journey that's taken them 40 years. But here we are now again, back in the same place. God, having brought his son Israel out of slavery in Egypt, Out of Egypt, I've brought my son, says Matthew, brought his people into the wilderness to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. But Israel disobeyed God's commands. They made other gods for themselves instead. And so because of their disobedience, they didn't get to enter into the promised land. Back out again into the desert for 40 years they wandered, 
wandering around the desert plains. God was angry with his entire generation, but not just angry with the people. God was also angry with Moses, Deuteronomy 4, verse 21. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land of the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. In the wilderness, Moses speaks to a new generation of people. They are now about to enter into the promised land. God's giving them the land that, that he promised to Abraham as an inheritance. But Moses won't enter the land with those people. He doesn't get to cross the Jordan River. Before they enter into this promised land, Moses now issues them, the people of God, with a warning. Here's what he says. We're back here now and we'll be back here again. See it with me, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 26. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. Imagine receiving that on a housewarming card. Congratulations on the new place. You'll be evicted from here very soon. And, although they, and they are evicted soon, aren't they, the people? Although the Bible's idea of soon isn't exactly the same idea of our idea of soon, is it? We've already seen that in the genealogy where Matthew made the point about the exile. The promised people of God are evicted from the promised land by God. They are driven out of house and home, scattered among all the nations. Out into the wilderness they go across the Jordan. After deportation to Babylon, the people slowly returned back to the land again. The city and its walls are rebuilt in Jerusalem. The deconstruction of the temple now reconstructed. The people returned home to Israel after the exile, but God never returned home to his people. But now, after 400 years of intertestamental silence and another 30 years since the incarnation of the Christ, here we are all over again, friends, out in the wilderness across the Jordan. God is patient. God is present. God is persistent. He brings his people back to the same place in order to start again. See it with me, won't you? Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist's message is essentially an invitation to come home. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what the word repent means. It means to turn, to turn to God. Usually when we think of repentance, we think of it in terms of our sin, as in repent and turn away from sin. Of course, in order to turn to God, we have to turn away from our sin. That's a good thing. You should do that. But the word repent captures more the idea of turning to God. 
When it comes to sin, John says there in verse 6 that we should confess it. Confess and repent are two different words, not one. Repent means turn. In this case, turn to God. And after years of silence and separation, the promised kingdom of heaven is now on its way. God has brought his people back to the same place, the place where it all went wrong in the first place. And because he's brought them back to where they were before, God's messenger now looks like he's homeless. Look there, verse 4. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Scorch, blistered, uh, scorch and blistered skin, the sand-swept desert look, and along with an all-natural, high-protein, low-carb diet, might be fashionable in some parts of Burley, but John the Baptist reminds us of somebody else. God takes us back to go forward. Here are the last words of our Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John the Baptist looks like Elijah. John the Baptist dresses like Elijah. John the Baptist eats like Elijah. Matthew will even refer to John the Baptist as being Elijah. John the Baptist does what the prophet said Elijah will do before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He is the voice that cries out in the wilderness, the one who makes straight paths for the Lord, making the way for the Lord to come. The one who never returned to the temple, friends, who never returned to dwell with his people after the exile, is now ready to return to them. Look there, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In order to receive his people back, God brings his people back to their beginnings. And so everyone now comes out into the wilderness. People come from everywhere out into the desert to be baptised. Being baptised by John in the Jordan symbolises God returning, turning back to his people who turned back to him. And by cleansing them through the washing of water, John is preparing these people for the coming of the Lord. But John isn't happy to see everybody, is he? Look there, verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? John's not the kind of guy you want on your church welcoming roster, is he? You brood of vipers is hardly a warm nor friendly greeting. But the Pharisees ruled the local synagogues and they added to the word of God their own traditions. And the Sadducees controlled the temple and all that took place in it. And they removed themselves from the people. But turning to God, friends, requires, see it there, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Genuine repentance produces lasting produce. What we do 
provides the evidence for who and whose we are. Warned to flee from the coming wrath, the axe cutting down and throwing them into the fire. John is not playing dress-ups here at some kind of pool party. He is deadly serious because this is a matter of life and death. Out into the wilderness, across the Jordan, John's preparing people for an encounter with God. And so John baptises with water, the one to come with Holy Spirit and fire. And again, the language here, see it there, it's of judgment and separation language, isn't it? Harvest imagery of gathering and scattering, returning and exiling. People returning from the exile, people turning to God. God brings them back to where they've been. John prepares them for the one to come. And so now after all of this time of anticipation, reviewing their past, revisiting their history, after all of this looking back, the stage is now set to move forward. Let's see what happens next, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptised by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he consented. In order to be baptised by John, Jesus comes out from the Galilee to the Jordan. But John's protests actually tell us who Jesus is. See it there, Jesus is the one he's been preparing the people for. God brings his people out into the wilderness again in order for God to start again with his people. It's not so much that John consented, like John reluctantly decided to go along with it. Jesus is the one who comes after him he is the one mightier than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has already mentioned two baptisms, one with water, the other with the Holy Spirit. John tells Jesus, I need to be baptised by you because Jesus is the one who does the other baptism. And so Jesus is baptised by John in the Jordan. Let's see it there, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptised, Immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is baptised in order to fulfil all righteousness. But it's also the fulfilment of all of God's promises. As the heavens are torn open, now a new age of God's revelation has begun. God now speaks again from heaven and his revelation to us is about Jesus. God brings his people back to the place of failure in order for us to start again with Jesus. Coming up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus the Son. God told the prophet Isaiah that he poured out his spirit on his servant. The voice from heaven declares Jesus, the beloved son of God's pleasure. What's happening here? The long-awaited servant of the Lord, 
the promised son of God, now publicly identified for everyone to see and to hear, Jesus is the son of God's love. God brings his people back to face their past in order that we might start again with Jesus. That's what John's been preparing them for. We've got to go back to go forward, back out into the wilderness across the Jordan where all the previous sons of Israel failed, where they failed to be faithful in the wilderness wanderings, where they failed to be faithful in the exodus from Egypt, where they failed to be faithful in the land and so they exiled to Babylon. God brings us back to our places of failure, to where we've been unfaithful and unfruitful, to the places where our lives haven't produced fruit, fruit that is in keeping with our repentance. You see, he brings us back to these places again and again so that we might turn to Jesus, so that we might start again with his son. Because in the Son, God is well pleased. Out here in the wilderness again, Jesus is the beloved Son of God's pleasure. And from here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will be led out into the wilderness once more. And there he'll be tempted like all the sons of Israel before him. But unlike all the sons of Israel who failed, Jesus, the Son, will remain faithful to his Father. He is the son of Abraham and the son of David in whom the father is well pleased. And it is only because of God's faithfulness, Christ's faithfulness, only because of the father's pleasure in his son that what was said of Jesus at his baptism might now be said from heaven about you. Hear the words. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It's because of Jesus that God would say that now about us. Only when we turn to Jesus do we receive his baptism of the Holy Spirit. No matter how many mistakes we've made, no matter how many other places God brings us back to, familiar places that remind us of our failure, God has made his declaration from heaven once and for all about you if you turn to Christ. This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Do you feel like God's bringing you back to something again? Do you feel like the same things that have happened once before are now happening to you again? Do you feel like your circumstances or even ours as a church are starting to feel painfully familiar? Like we've been here before recently? Does it feel that way? Listen to me very carefully, friends. God brings us back so that we might go forward with Jesus. Not to rely on ourselves like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Not to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Not to get through this. Not to try harder. He brings us back so that we might turn to Jesus And in so doing, we become more fruitful. Will you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, we want to turn to you because we want to start again with you. Back into places where we failed, back into places where we got it wrong, back into familiar circumstances that didn't work out for us previously. We give you thanks that these things happen, that we might turn to Jesus and trust in him. No more important for us as a church is this right now, that circumstances that might seem and feel familiar might work out differently because instead of relying upon ourselves, we might turn to Jesus. Whatever it is that's going on in our lives, Lord Jesus, this morning, you know. Whatever it is that feels familiar like we've been here before, what is it that you're teaching me, what's going on, God, the questions that we ask, would you help us to stop and to turn to Jesus and by turning to him that we might become more fruitful, that we might produce fruit not only as your people but as your church that lasts, that we might be people who are with Jesus, who become more like him and who do the things that he does. Help us to be those people, Lord. So as we find ourselves again in this wilderness-type place, where we feel like you're silent, where we're not sure what's going on, would you help us? Would you prepare us, prepare our hearts now, Lord Jesus, that we might turn to you in repentance and to trust in your son, the one in whom you delight, and that we might trust also that what you've said of him, you now say of us, that we are your beloved children and in him, the Lord Jesus, you are well pleased with us. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.